0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Love and Truth Church Savannah Podcast. We are so glad you joined us. Our hope is for these teachings to be encouraging and uplifting and that they would help you grow in your relationship with God. Now, let's get ready to receive a powerful message from Pastor A.J. Fowler. Bibles. I know where I'm going. Go to the book of Luke, chapter 15. Luke, chapter 15. Um, I started a series on uh, healing the orphan spirit, and I, I kind of want to recap just a moment and then I'll jump right into it. But um, it's healing the orphan spirit, and for, for many of you that have never heard of that, uh, it's like, what is that exactly? What is the orphan spirit? um don't freak out about the whole spirit thing it's really it's in scripture there's times where the bible speaks of the heart and calls it the spirit of a man the heart of a man um and there's times where it's re- referenced as an attitude it's a mentality it's the soul the mind the will the emotions so um, and many of you probably understand what an orphan is and some of you might have been one at some point in your life uh, in the natural. But I'm talking about the spiritual sense and I really want you to lean into this tonight because what I'm going to be talking about is really going to hit more of the body, the people that attend churches uh, than it is anything else. Because it's uh, uh, going to talk about the older brother syndrome. Um, and when you look into the book of Luke chapter fifteen, you'll see that there's two. There, there's there's a an, a love of an extravagant father as we look at the prodigal son. Um, there is the rebellious son and then there's the religious son there's three different players in this specific setting that we're going to be looking at um, but we've already talked about the rebellious son or the prodigal son we talked about that the very last time so um, and and I, I begin to break this down the first week I talked about what an, what an orphan spirit was if you if you're not fully understanding what I'm referring to in that just think of it in the sense of it is a slave mentality. That you, you, are, you are a doer all the time, but you've never learned how to really sit in the presence of Jesus and just be. You're, I don't want to get ahead of myself because I'm really good at doing that. But you have a slave mentality where you're constantly having to work uh, for something whenever something's already been provided for you. And so um, that, that is an orphan mentality. Here's the thing about orphans. And I said this. A while back is that orphans are constantly competing. They're constantly vying for positions because they don't understand their position. Man, I'm gonna get ahead of myself. I gotta stop. So, um, the. Uh, do I want to go there just yet? Maybe so. I don't know. I'm, I'm having. To, I'm an external processor. In case you haven't figured that out, um, but. Orphans are constantly, orphans do compete. They're constantly looking over and trying to keep up with this one and that one, but they've never really settled into their personal identification in Christ. So that's why we call it an orphan spirit. And many believers that sit on our pews, seats, churches all across America, um, especially in the Western culture, they don't understand really what it means to be they don't understand sonship, and so that's what I'm trying to get across to you tonight. And Hopefully, by the end of this message, it's going to identify some things in you that if, if you're dealing with some of these things, because I want to point them out so that you can get healed of them, that's the focus of it. So I'm really going to drill down deep into Because I would look across the room, and I'm not going to make the assumption, but probably 99% of the people that's in this room is saved, and they've given their life to Jesus. Um, but many people get saved and they're still that many days old and it's been 40 years ago because they've never fully ma- they've never matured they're still on meat they need they they're still on the milk and they never matured to the meat so we're going to talk about some of this i, I just better jump in here's when we read the scripture in Luke chapter fifteen, uh, I talked about this the last time. I read the whole portion, um, but when we look at this again, we're looking at the older brother. All right, he's the religious son, and when you look at uh, Luke chapter fifteen, you need to know the context of what you're reading. Jesus has been traveling and preaching. All right, he's not just, uh, and and there is a there is a group of people that have been following him in his day it would not be uncommon for at least 40 to 50 people to travel with him everywhere that he went. And more than that, more than likely, as a lot of commentators, they say that there, there's at least 40 to 50 people that are everywhere with him all the time because, again, his words are life, they're spirit and their life, so they're hanging on every word. And they've never heard anybody teach like this. One of them said, who is this that teaches with authority? So in Luke 15, we have Jesus that has been traveling from about Luke 9 to I think it's about Luke, Luke nineteen, that he is he is just making his rounds and preaching, and so he has collected some sinners and tax collectors along with him, but also Pharisees and scribes. And people say, "Well, they're they're the, they're just going to show up and be like, well, we just oppose it." No, these were probably closet believers. Like Nicodemus was a closet believer. He came to him at night. Um, these were probably the scribes and the Pharisees were following at a distance. A lot of believers do this. We follow at a distance, but we're not close enough that whenever, whenever uh, everything drops, that we can't get accused of being with Jesus. But oh, no I'm, no, I'm good. I don't, I don't know who that man is, right? I want to challenge you a little bit. Let me be pastoral and talk to you because I want to pull the complacent. I don't like complacency. It drives me, my life. It drives me nuts. Like I want to be either all in or I just don't want to do it at all. I don't want to be just, uh, just meh. You know, I don't want to do that. I want to be all in or not at all. I want, I want in and so jesus begins to have this discourse about the lost sheep. now this is a this is a parable. this was a fictional story that jesus is talking. he goes from the lost sheep to the lost coin and then he goes to the prodigal son. so these weren't actual accounts that we know of. these were stories that he was sharing to get a point across and he hits every every crowd that's in that specific setting. He's hitting them. And so it's interesting. It says both the Pharisees and the scribes begin to complain, saying this man receives sinners and eats with them. So they're probably believers. They're just like, man, why is he doing that? It doesn't make any sense. We're frustrated that he would even do that. And so Jesus starts telling parables um, to, to relate. And so He gets to this story, he talks about the older brother. And let me just say this because many of us have read this story. I'm not going to take it for granted that you have. I'll read it. But the older brother proves, listen to me, that you don't have to pack your bags and leave home or town in order to have an orphan spirit. The rebellious son had an orphan spirit. He lived in the house with his father. And it's interesting because he says, give me my inheritance. Do you know what he said? Just a little recap. He was saying, I wish you were dead. Because you don't get the inheritance until you're dead, right? I wish you were dead. I don't I don't care about you. Give me my inheritance. I'm out. So that's what he just told his father. I don't care about you. The word uh, of inheritance is the word bios, which means your life. Give me your life. I'm out. And so... That's what happens the father he gives him his he gives him his inheritance and he he hits the road and he's out and the older brother is the one that hung around and stayed in the field, and he proves that you can be in the house, you can be in the family, you can be in the church, you can be walking in that calling or whatever it is that you've called to do, but still have the heart, the spirit, or the attitude of an orphan. The mentality, it's a slave mentality. The children of Israel had a slave mentality. They didn't want to go to a promised land. They wanted to stay back and dysfunction and bondage because that was comfortable. Their bellies were the full yet they were they were being worked to death but they were fine with that because they knew the outcome when they had to follow they didn't know outcomes so they had to walk in trust and listen to a man called Moses you don't okay I don't want to get deep in it anyway you understand so the orphan spirit is not a matter of location but of an attitude all right? It's not a matter, you can be a million miles from where you are, but still have an orphan attitude. You can have all the money, you can have all of the great, you can have the house, you can have all these things, and they're great. We want those, but still have that orphan mentality, that slave mentality that has never experienced the love of the Father. So Jesus confronts both sides of the spectrum: the rebellious son and the religious older brother. And In Luke chapter 15, it'll be on the side screens, 25. I'm going to start right there because we've already taught on the very beginning of it. So Luke uh, 15, 25, and it says, Now his older brother was in the field, and this is after the return of the rebellious son. He has returned home, and the older brother was in the right place at the right time, right? And it says, And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. They're throwing a party because the lost son has come home. And he summoned one of the servants, and he began inquiring, what is this all about? And he said to him, your brother has come back home, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But the older brother became angry and was not willing to go in. He crossed his arms and began to pout. And his father came out and began pleading with him and said, what a baby. That's what I'd say. Sorry, but he answered and said to the father, "Look, for so many years I've been serving you, and I have never neglected you, the commands of yours. And yet you gave me a young goat. So that I, well, excuse me. And yet you've never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. That's so anyway. He said, But when the but when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth and pr- with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him.'" And he said to him, son, you have always been with me, and all that I, all that's mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live. I love that, has begun to live and was lost and has been found. I want to talk about three distinctives here that a lot of believers may experience from time to time, or maybe it's all the time. So I want to put my finger on them as it's putting its finger on me and preach it to you tonight. So I want to start right here and look at this specific verse, or I mean this specific focus on what happened at the beginning the first thing that I see in this is that the older brother, the the religious brother, his heart was in the wrong position. His heart was positioned wrong. Now, I I coach Elijah's baseball team we in the league, and we have a little travel team that we do on Saturdays every so often. And uh, as I've just picked up some stuff even after I've played ball out of out of playing my whole life, pretty much out of baseball and. And we, we go every so often to elite and we'll go to the cage. I say every so often we go a lot, don't we, babe? <laughs> More than Crystal likes. But anyway, we have a great time. It's for me too. I need to work out and do stuff. But anyway, so we'll we'll go and I remember one time Coach Stubby Clapp, anybody familiar with him? He coaches with the Cardinals and him, he's him and Coach Chad, they have their thing going. Now he'll come in every so often Well, I was he he took one lesson with Elijah, because that's about all we can handle. He took one lesson with Elijah and he he I learned so much from a professional. And he taught him three he he stated three things. He said, um, he said, Elijah, first thing you do when you get in the box is you establish your feet at your foundation. Your feet, he would say, feet, knees, and hands, feet, knees, and hands. So your feet get set. The next thing is you get some bend in your knees, and then your hands come back. And so that I, I knew that. That's something I knew all along, but he just put words to what I could understand, which really began to progress Elijah a long way as far as his hitting goes. And, and as I was writing this out, I began to think about that scenario because I use it all the time now too. Feet, knees, hands, feet, knees, hands, talking to the kids. And the first thing that they'll teach you is that if your feet are not positioned right, you're you're set up and doomed to fail with the rest of your body because that is your base. They have to be established. Well, in the same scenario as this goes, your heart has to be positioned right. If your heart is out of position, then the rest of life is going to go haywire because the Scripture specifically says, we we look at Proverbs, it says, guard your above all else. He says for from it, flows the issues or springs the issues of life from the heart springs everything jeremiah says that the heart is deceitfully wicked above all all else who can know it but god god knows the hearts of all men jesus looking at the pharisees says you give me lip service but your heart is far from me so the heart has to be positioned right at least Everything else in your life is stupid and chaotic and out of kilter, right? I mean, it's it, it's important because here's what I understand. This will this will set the precedence for the rest of the night. Uh, the, the, you know, the Bible talks about out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Um, not even just the mouth speaks, from the heart establishes the patterns of life that we look at and say, mm, their fruit is not good, right? You can tell me. Oh, I believe in G. I believe, and I'm I believe in the goodness of God. But yet, you're you're fearful of everything that pops up. You don't trust Him. You, you, your your life demonstrates that you really don't believe in the goodness of God. When something hits the fan and stuff goes bad, and we see maybe your finances take a bad hit because something. What is your what's your initial knee jerk reaction? Is it do you do you sink back into a hole and go, go in depression for seven days because that's something that's in your heart. And it, and it shows you, let life hit you hard enough, what comes out of you when it does, besides the cuss words. <laughs> All right, I'm just kidding. I had to lighten it up, it was getting heavy. But but what is it whenever life strikes you really hard because that tells you what's in you. When someone bumps you, what spills out of you? You can look at somebody and see their fruit, If they really are. Well, they love Jesus, but they can't stop gossiping. They can't stop slandering. They can't stop talking about people. Not just the people that struggle with some of the substance abuse. Let's get into the church. What about the gossip? What about the slander? I'm not saying. I hadn't heard anything uh, that I know of. But what is it? Is the heart position Because David talks about it. I want to ask you. How is your heart postured? What do you mean? I don't understand that. Talk to me. Well, King David said, he talked about in the book of Psalm, he said, I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes. So what does that mean? That means that the heart must most naturally be declined. Or for some of us, we're reclined. Lean back. We don't care. We're just gonna let life happen as it may. So David is saying, I have to incline, I have to actually press. I have to seek. I have to get myself out of the state, and I have to talk. Come on, soul. You ever notice that, David, it says, uh, bless the Lord, O my soul. We read that. like, Oh, that's so great. But do you know what he's saying? He's, he's talking to himself, so that ought to help some of you. I talk to myself all the time, and even answer myself. Go have fun with that. I don't care. But, but he's saying, bless the Lord, O my soul. Get yourself out of this place. David had to learn how to encourage himself in the Lord. It, because there was low places, and you got to learn to do that. You can't let life punch you, knock you down, and you not stu- do anything about. it. So that's that's what David. I have to I have to incline my heart. So what am I saying? This this older brother, this religious brother, he was in the right position. He had he was in the right place but he had a wrong spirit. He was in the right place. He was in the father's, he was positioned right, but his heart, he, he was in the right position, but his heart wasn't positioned right. So take note of that. Understand that, get that tonight. Where, what is the posture of your heart? A lot of us, we, we are working for the love of God. We're working for God to love us. We think we gotta do. We gotta give more. We gotta pray more. We gotta read more. All those things are great, but I don't do those because I'm trying to get God to love me more. I'm trying to get the Father. We, it, it, it's sonship is a position, and I say sonship. It's daughters as well. Sons. Sonship is a position. I don't have to do a bunch of things to get God to do something for me or to love me. He's not a cosmic vending machine, right? I don't do these things because I want him to love me more. He just loves me because it's just love. I can't, ex- Yeah, he just does, he just loves us. But many work for the love of God instead of working from the love of God. I have to work from that place. I'm a son because he loves me. I'm a son because I've given my life to it. It wasn't anything I could do. It's not by works lest any man should boast, right? It's only by grace through faith that I can be saved and become a son in the kingdom. It's a position. Sonship is a position. I am, what what are you, AJ? Are you a pastor? No, I'm not a pastor. I'm a son. that's, That's who I am. What I do is I'm a pastor. I'm a son that's a husband, I'm a son that's a father. I'm a son that's a pastor. I'm a son that's a shepherd. I'm a son first and foremost above all things because that's the foundation of kingdom. Do you understand it's not pastor uh, uh, sheep or you shepherd sheep? It's not that. That's not the way that it flows. All throughout scripture, it's been father, son, and there are no grandkids in the kingdom. You ever notice that? God has no grandkids. Abraham, Moses, and all of them did, but God has no grandkids. Father, son, all the way through Scripture. Mother, daughter. I'm preaching way too much on this, trying to drive something way home. Many see him. I love this because I think this is true. Many of us look to him and see him as Godfather, <laughs> a Godfather. Well, I, I listen. If I don't get this done, if I don't do, this, if I don't problem, I, I don't. Man, he's going to ice me. I'm going to be on ice. And then we come to him like like he's a godfather. Take him out. And we don't understand that he's God, my father, and not the godfather. How do you see him? How How have you experienced him? Can I talk from a sonship experience? The presence of God, when I feel him, it makes me feel more at home and where I know where my right... I don't want to be anybody else as much as I love some of my generals in the faith with Bill Johnson and and some of these guys that have gone... Brother Kenneth E. Hagan Sr. These guys that moved in power and saw miraculous things. I can't be them, so I'm not going to try to be them. Here's the thing about God. Before he formed you in a womb, he had a vision and a picture of who you are. He saw you, and, and he saw you in the brightest and the fullest and, and covered in his glory, and so that's the picture that he saw of you. That's who you've got to try to become. That's who you're seeking to become, but that is not found in your own personal pursuit of yourself. It's found in the pursuit of Jesus because he's my elder brother. He's my. He was the firstborn from the dead. He was the only begotten. Uh, son that became die, that died for us that later on produced many sons and we' we're, we're welcomed into that family so got to get past the first point the baptism of Jesus this is just an example for you and by the way before I dive deeper into that if you've never been immersed in water I'm not talking we we ain't sprinkling I had an uncle ask me one time I'm just gonna I don't care I had an uncle ask me one time, he said, AJ, what do you do with a dead man? He said, do you put a little dirt on him? No shots to anybody or anything. Do you put a little dirt on him? Well, absolutely not. Okay, have you ever drove past a graveyard and seen just a little bit of dirt sitting and and that thing sitting right on top of the ground? Absolutely not. They won't let you do that. You dig that hole and you bury him. What are we talking about? If Jesus... In the book of 1 Corinthians, Romans, Colossians, it speaks of identifying with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. I'm going to identify with the elder brother. and Do I have to be baptized to be saved? Hush your mouth. What are you even talking about? Get yourself into the water. Go down in that powerful name because that name declares authority over my life. And as a son, I'm going to take that signet ring upon my hand. I was a rebellious son that returned home, and he gave me the signet ring. What does that speak to? I'm going to identify with the authority of the name of Jesus, and I'm going to go into that water, and I'm going to identify. I'm going to come up in a new place. And so I'm telling you, if you haven't, and Jesus did, then you yourself need to do it yourself. I'm just telling you. I'll leave that right there. But we believe in that. If you need to do it again, do it again. But the Father speaks over him. He says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I've said this before, but I want to let you know. He speaks this over his son before Jesus performs the first miracle. So, in other words, he's telling you, you don't have to go out and you'll you'll do this. You don't have to go out and perform signs, wonders, miracles, and lead hundreds of thousands to Christ. All that you need to do is understand that the Father says, I'm pleased with you before you do anything. I'm, I'm establishing that now, and I'm speaking it over Jesus, which we know Jesus went on to do. Multitudes of miracles, and I think as John says, if the if all the books of the world could not hold what he did, that's pretty amazing. All right, so understand that there is a he's pleased with you before you do anything. Second thing that I want to look at is because it builds off of one another. The second thing is that the older son had a um, an offended heart. There was a heart of offense. I'm telling you what we come out of 2020 and 2021 was nothing but a lot of offense, not towards the world. We've said this before. I've preached a message called Triggered uh, about offense, and it's not not the world system. They're already offended. It's the church. The church has moved, and it's been throughout history. We've seen people that they get offended about the craziest of things but the older brother had an offended heart look at verse 27 it says um, one the guy uh, one of his one of his servants come to him and say hey your your brother's come back and the father sla- slaughtered the fat and calf because he's received him back safe and sound so the father the father does what he's supposed to be doing to reckon the father reconciles and restores the son back into the house but the older brother, because his heart, the foundation was completely off, the next thing that followed was offense. He was offended. You ever met somebody, and don't look around the room. You ever met somebody, you can't say anything to them without them getting offended. I mean, you could, you, I mean, it's like you walk up and you compliment them on what they're wearing, and all of a sudden, man, they got a look on their face like this smirk, like, what, why are they talking? You said I had nice shoes, but I think they're trying to say I got cankles or something. You know what I mean? Uh, and it's like, no, I'm not saying that at all. I'm I'm just saying you look nice because there's a heart that's already twisted and turned, and it's going to, and it's like David said, they take my words and they twist them to fit their narrative. Now I'm paraphrasing his what he said in Psalms, but there's people that will do that because their heart is it's wicked and it's not whole, it's not healthy. There is an orphan spirit. It's always constantly thinking. Do you wonder? Let me tell you something. Orphans have such an issue the slave mentality, the orphan spirit has such such a terrible issue with this whole process of comparison. I'll say law for just a moment. think about it. comparison you're constantly comparing yourself to somebody that you want to be like but you don't want to be. And I'll tell you it's kind of it becomes a Samson effect. Samson got what he wanted, but he didn't like what he got. So, orphans want things, but when they finally get a hold of them, they don't like what they get. And so, the comparison, the attitude and the heart of comparison, you're constantly looking at this and comparing yourself to that. The older son is in the field and he's looking at, why would the father do that for him? I don't understand why it's like, I, I, I mean, I'm the one that's been in the field working all the time. I'm the one that's been here. I've stayed the whole time. Let me just tell you a word to somebody. If you don't kill comparison, it will come back and it will kill you. Stop comparing yourself to somebody. Stop comparing yourself to somebody that you you have no clue their whole life and what happens behind closed doors. <clears throat> The older brother became angry because of the father's heart to restore and reconcile. Here's what happened. Not just his heart, we know that was uh, the thing, but the offended heart. Uh, His heart was completely offended at this point. This is just devastating. His anger began to restrict his vision. His own flesh and blood, his brother, his younger brother, the baby brother, the one that really... They're called to protect and to pour into, and the younger one wants to be like the older one, had returned back, and all that the older brother, the religious brother could think about was himself. He's working in the field, close to the father, but does not have the heart of the father. He does not have the spirit of his father. He does not have the vision of his father. And I, I preached the first week and talked about the five eye wills of Satan. You ever remember that? You ever read that in Scripture in Isaiah? Satan lists five things. I will ascend above the throne of God. I will do this and I will do that. So then all of a sudden, the older brother, there's some pride here. There's some arrogance. Begins to talk about all of the deeds that he's done in verse 28. Or excuse me, in verse 29, he's talking to all of these years, I've done this. I have, I've worked in your field. I've served you. I've not neglected any command. I've never been disobedient. And yet you've never given me this and that I might celebrate. He goes into this whole, so he was so tore up. It's funny in scripture here. He's mad the way that Jesus lays this out. But he's so tore up that he could not even differentiate between a goat and a cow. (laughs) Well, you've never killed a young goat for me. It's like, what are you talking about a young goat? They killed a cow. He's so mad. He's so upset because of that heart of offense. Let me ask you a question. What triggers you? you need, I mean, I'm serious. People say, "Well, my husband." <laughs> no, I'm sorry. You can work that out. Maybe it's your spouse, your wife, whatever. But what what is it? Are you constantly walking around and you're always triggered? Are you always ready to snap at a moment's notice because there's something wrong with your heart? Come on, am I right? There's something off. If you're always walking around as a ticking time bomb and upset about something that could just blow, you'd blow a head gasket, then there is something happening in the heart that needs to be changed. And I would take it back to the foundational principle of feet, knees, and hands. First, start with your feet. Start with your heart. God, deal with my heart. Deal with this, what's going on inside of my heart. I need to correct this because my heart is constantly being offended about everything that's been said and everything that's being done. And nobody else knows why they come up to talk to you, and you're just so upset. I, it, it's like I, I, I remember um, growing up. I'll just use the church that I grew up in. I remember growing up, and there was a couple of people that I completely avoided because they just look mad all the time. I'm like, they've been saved, but they're mean. <laughs> they look mad, and when you, I mean, and then but it's funny because when the altar call came, they were in the altar, and man, they were shouting the house down after service. Flip got switched, or switch got flipped, and then they were right back to that mean old state. I mean, walking through the church like, good Lord, why? Because here's what I think. If there's an offended heart, you may be saved, but you hadn't dealt with some stuff because you're probably scared to deal with the emotional side of it because that means you've got to actually open up and be honest before God and say, I'm not right. I'm taking a moment with it because there's a lot of people, a lot of believers. Let it not be done in this church, and it has, but let it not be done in this church that when people come in and say, why do they look so mad? I went over to say something to them. They're just me. No. Why? Deal with the heart. Deal with the heart. Third, because it's getting really convicting and quiet. Verse 30 The older brother then, not only has he, he's offended and snaps, but now he starts to point fingers. And he says, but when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, hookers, you got kids in here, it's your fault. Prostitutes and hookers and all of those things. You have, and and yet, You're going to go ahead and slaughter the best meal and give him a feast with a fattened calf. Here's the third thing. He developed a heart of criticism and judgment. One to the next, one to the next. He developed that attitude, constant criticism. You ever met somebody that's constantly criticizing everybody? It's like the, anybody that could walk through. You may work with them in your job. Whenever somebody walks through, I mean, they just they just turn into it, go after it. And they don't even realize it. And and the next thing you know is here comes another vulture that kind of sits in beside them and says, yeah, you know what? Because that's what they're doing. They use a lot of sarcasm. It's all, they're always sarcastic. You know what sarcasm is? One of the best things that you can actually, let me just tell you, let me give you a good book. It's called the Word Fast. It's really good. Do it. It's a devotional. You can find it on YouVersion. Do it on YouVersion. But the author of that book mentions sarcasm, and he calls it scarcasm. Because that's what it begins to do. It begins to cut. It begins to, uh, to, to wound. And it begins to, you, you, people that are critical constantly and judgmental, always pointing out the sins of somebody else, um, th- they're people that are dealing with a lot of emotional issues and problems. Emotional abuse, uh, verbal abuse, the heart of criticism. That's what he has. The older brother begins to point out the sins of the younger brother, and this is where it was said of Gandhi, I believe, that said that in Christianity, you are the ones that kill your wounded. Now, I'm talking to the church. We're going to flip it, I promise you. It's really depressing right now, but we'll get to a point where we flip this thing around. It's probably a little bit convicting because we've all been a part of it. I have. I'm telling you, I have. And somewhere in some part of this, and I've had to do a lot of repenting, I have. I have. Throughout my life. But his anger and his self-pity also led him to be filled with a false sense of his own virtue. In other words, he was justifying himself. I've been there. Anybody? You ever justified what you're saying about somebody else? Because he was justifying his actions by his judgment. An orphan spirit. That slave mentality will always find a way to justify its own behavior by comparing itself with others. It lives its life by the motto, I can always find someone else that's worse off than me, and that makes me more righteous. We judge people by the sins we don't struggle with. We look and we see this one, "Ah, I can't believe, you know. But we ourselves, oh, but no, you don't understand. The motive of my heart is correct and pure. But the orphan attitude in the spirit believes always everyone else must change. Well, they got to change. They'll go from this group of fellowship, this life group, this church. They'll go from this place to the next, believing that, well, they just won't change. They don't want revival like I want revival. They go to revival church churches, like, well, this is going on in that church. I just, I can't, we just can't stay there. It's like you've been to all of these places. At some point, there's a common denominator that laced up in all of this, and it's me. And I go back to the place of where it comes. It's a humbling thing, but the Bible says to humble yourself before the Lord. It doesn't say, God, humble me. You don't pray that. You humble yourself before the Lord. You are required to bring yourself before God and say, God, it's me. It's me, and I am sorry And I'm laying on my face, and I'm letting you know that I love you, and I'm praying that you would change this heart. This heart has to be transformed. This heart has to be changed. I can't go on anymore. I've been praying that you would change everybody around me, but it's, it's the revelation to me right now that I am the one that needs to change me because it's pride and arrogance. It's the work of the enemy, Satan himself, pride, arrogance. Humanity. Humanity. I, I I use a quote. It's very bold, but humanity. Hear it. What I'm about to say. Think about it for just a moment, if you can. We're about done. AJ, come. Humanity without Christ at the center. Think about it. Humanity without Christ at the center is the de- is demonic in nature. Humanity without Christ at the center. Is demonic in nature. Why? What is the flesh considered? Jesus talked about the flesh. Paul talked about the flesh. Now, here's where it all flips, and this is where it all changes for you. Listen to the response, not the reaction. Reaction denotes a knee jerk action. The Father didn't react to the son, he responds, which means that he was at a place of peace. He was at a place of peace with himself. The father, God himself, Jesus incarnate responds and says in verse 31 and 32, he said, son, and let me just put your name in the middle of it. You can put your name right there. Jay, you've always been with me and all that is mine is yours. There's an inheritance for you. He said, but we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours that was dead in his trespasses and his sins and now has begun to live, he has been revived. He was lost, and he's been found. This mirrors one of the greatest presidents this nation has ever had, and Abraham Lincoln. This mirrors the Abraham Lincoln Answer to a question he was asked about how you would treat the Confederate soldiers once the Civil War was over. Out of this book, it says that the peop- the person that asked the question and the people that were around listening to his response was expecting vengeance and even thoughts of execution because of their treason. Lincoln surprised all of them by saying, I will treat them as if they had never been away. So the father's saying, I'm going to treat them to those of us that were saved we've been set free we've been sanctified filled with the Holy Ghost and all that good stuff for all of us that are here he said I'm going to treat them just as if they've never left and just the same with you if you've been the, the, the religious daughter the religious son that has been in the house but yet your heart has not been in the house your heart has not been with the father you, you've been close enough to see the face of God, but all that you see is your own issues, struggles, and you're looking inward, and you're, the Father shows up to you, and He says, I'm going to treat you as though you've never left home. I'm going to treat you as the child of God that you are, because I saw you in your womb, in your mother's womb. I saw the glory and the fullness of who you would become in your greatest place with me on your life, and that's who I'm going to pull you to become. In our life group class, we did prophecy one on one, and I told them many different weeks. I talked about that dirt is easy to find on anybody, be on on the on the religious or on the rebellious. Dirt's easy to find, but gold you have to mine. And God constantly is looking for gold in every one of us. That's why we're all called to prophesy, to edify, to build up, and to comfort. Why? Everybody wants to know what God thinks. Everybody wants to know what God thinks. What is He saying? And every person in this room has gold in them. I don't care what your life has been, I don't know what you've done, know where you came from. Every person has gold. And we want to pull it and see it. I want to agree with the Father and I want to see it come out of you. Here's what I want to tell you, and we're going to pray. We are expecting a harvest. We're expecting, I am, text the staff, we've been talking about this over. We're expecting a harvest of souls. Do you understand that in a 50 mile radius, there's over a half a million people around this church? It's more than any Love and Truth campus we have. Even Jackson, Northern Mississippi, Northern Alabama. We're not a city church, and we're no longer a family, but we're a tribe. We've outgrown the family into a tribe. Now we still have families in the church. But we're a tribe. We're a regional church, which means that we're gonna to continue to reach and it's gonna hit a fifty it's gonna hit a 50 mile radius. There's over a half a million people. Now, the reason why I preach this tonight is so that I could wake some of us up if we are operating as a religious son or daughter that are belly gazing at ourselves and not looking to the fields that are white. The reason why. I'm in this orphan series, and it just happened to cross over and work together as the Lord spoke to me and talked to me about getting ready, A.J., for a harvest. I've journaled it. I've wrote it down. I've prayed into it, and I'm more convinced than I've ever done. And I've, there's so many people that have given visions and prophetic words to me, even recently over the, since last Wednesday night, our encounter service that was off the chain. There's a harvest that is coming into this house And we cannot be the religious daughter. We can't be the the religious son. It's like, where's my goat, Dad? (laughs) We got to stop bickering with whatever's going on, and we got to look and say, God, deal with my heart. You got to change it. It's got to be transformed. Search me and know me, and try me, and see if there be any wicked way or anxieties that are not of you. Remove it from my life, God. I've got to see them the way that you see them. Or as I pray often, give me eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to rapidly obey. Give me eyes to see the broken and the hurting. Give me eyes for those that you were here on Sunday. Give me eyes to see the pagan that's looking for an answer. Give me eyes to see those that's in the broken state and stop looking to what, I can, what I'm needing in my life. But What are you, what are you wanting to do around me? Now, Has whatever I've said, preached on tonight, has that convicted your heart of anything? Because it has on mine as I was preparing this message. We are preparing for those yet to come. Love and truth has used that slogan for years, but it's never become more real to me than it has in the last six months. We are preparing for those yet to come. So what I want to do is just for the next five minutes, I want you to stand to your feet if you would. And I want, to, I want to open the altars. I want to ask you the question. Anything that I've dealt with tonight, spoke on tonight, is there anything that has struck your heart? And you're saying, man, that's me. And I want to, I don't want to be the religious child in the house. But I want to be, I don't want to have form, a form of religion, but have no power. I want to be yielded. I want to be submitted and I want to be ready for the harvest that's coming. Bow your heads if you would. Right now. If that's you, raise your hand. Now, for those of you that raise your hand, come come find a place at an altar. We're just gonna pray a moment. You can kneel, you can stand, but it's just spending some time with God right here. I want to open up the altars and let the Holy Spirit begin to flow through these altars to your lives. That there, there literally is a spiritual awakening and it takes place tonight. Because you're a son, you're a daughter. God, heal the heart tonight. Every person, all of us, heal our hearts. We ask Him for God, heal our hearts. Heal my heart, God. Tell Him, God, I, I humble myself before you. I yield to you. I submit to you. I want to be ready for the harvest I want to be ready for the harvest ask the Lord to anoint you it's not your strength it's not your words it's the power of the Holy Spirit resting on your life the Bible says that it's the anointing that destroys the yokes it breaks the yoke Holy Spirit on your life Father I pray that you would give them the words give them the words those in these altars and I pray there's more throughout the house give us the words for the lost not just the lost but the church hurt those from other places that have not darkened a church's door in 10 years (laughs) because they've been hurt. Let us cross paths with ease, And let us minister to them. I'm telling you before this week is out There are many of you in this room. It's not just some, it's many. I would say at least 15 to 20 of you, if not more than that, are going to cross paths with someone that has been church hurt and they haven't been in the church house in at least five years. And God is going to give you the thoughts. He's going to give you the words to speak and to release wisdom into their life and to direct them. God is going to begin, I'm just telling you what I'm sensing in my spirit of those of you that are in, in the altar, and i prophesy this, that God is going to begin to start bringing into this house those that have been broken from religion. Because we will not You will not, I will not be someone that has a form of religion but denies the power of God. But we will function in power and demonstration. We will be a church that functions in power and demonstration. We already are, but we will not be known as powerless. Many of you that's in these altars, get ready. Get ready. Just linger in a moment. I want the Holy Spirit to do His work. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the peace, God, that you give prophesy this really quick, or some of you uh, do often, and um, we're in an age, I don't say age, I, don't, I hate to say it that way, we're in a time where anxiety is is at, this, it's, at its highest, um, I pray often over this church specifically, but I really feel this in my spirit. So I'm going to make a decree. I decree that we will be a house of Shalom. This will be a house of when people come in that where the anxiety and the the weariness, just the weightiness of just everything around around us to be a house where people come in and it'll almost be like not saying that they're not saying that they're possessed. It'll be like with Saul when King David went in and played his music before Saul and the spirit lifted and he was at peace. That's what this house is. It's not the building. It's the people. It's you. Because you want to know why? Because God's going to lift it off of you. I'm telling you, God's going to lift it off of you. Those of you that's got strong, rough bouts of anxiety that's just paralyzing and crippling, I'm telling you, that's what God's looking to lift off of your life. He's, got, he's going to lift it off of your life. It's not going to be a snap of the finger, but let me encourage you. I, I want I want you, and this is, here. hear what the Lord is saying Get your Bibles and read and reread and reread Matthew 11 and 24. Come unto me, all you that are weary and are heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What he's saying, Jesus was a rabbi. In those days, to take a yoke upon your life meant you're taking that whole teaching upon your life. And he says, and learn from me. Read that scripture until you know it. Not just know it, but you know it. And watch anxiety begin to lift. I'm telling you, watch it lift. Because you're going to know Jesus in a different light like you've never known him before. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you are able to take something from this sermon and apply it to your life. Also, feel free to share this with your friends and family. And if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at loveandtruthchurchsavannah at gmail.com. We hope you have a great week.